This is the Two Spies Podcast, studying the Bible in a different way. What does the verse say? What is the topic being addressed? How does this affect me today? Go deeper in Scripture. Now the conversation begins with your hosts, David and Mark. Welcome to Two Spies Podcast. We don't know what we've talked about recently, so... We're going to talk about something we've already talked about. Mark's going to edit it all out. I remember we talked about Jonah and Nahum. <laughs> That's been a long time ago. <laughs> I think we talked about evolution. We talked about evolution. <laughs> about three the months flood. ago. Yeah. Uh, so what we've talked about, uh, I guess, as far as descendants go, speaking of Ishmael and Isaac, um, we've talked about the promise to the descendants and I, we'll end up hitting more of that because it's all kind of intertwined with some of our other stuff, yeah. other subject matter. But I wanted to start off with the promise of the descendants. And that just being, uh, where are we at, Genesis 16? Yeah. Or excuse me, 15? Yeah, we've been bouncing around, so we're not necessarily. Uh, Genesis 15, uh, Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what shall you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. I just wanted to read that just to get to his name. Because as we're talking about the promise of descendants, Abraham's thinking, I don't see anything that you're saying you're going to do. So I'm already chalking it up to write my will out to have Eliezer's name on there. That's all I know so far, God. <laughs> so, uh, what you got on that area? Uh, not a whole lot. Okay, then I'll just continue. <laughs> just keep going. Uh, I guess the main point to work up to right here is, is a verse that everybody will recognize. Just uh, New Testament Christians who have never even picked up the Old Testament to think about it will even recognize this. So, um, as we keep on going. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. This is the Lord speaking. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall be your offspring. And this is Genesis fifteen six. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. So believing the Lord is what counts Abraham as being righteous. Right. <clears throat> Which is something that, uh, like, that's that's the verse I'm pointing to that most New Testament Christians are going to know. Yeah. So the most interesting thing I found about this verse is what I didn't find about this verse. <laughs> <laughs> Riddle me this, Batman. <laughs> Because that's, uh, for you, the listener, that's always something that astounds me. That's something important to notice what is not there. So we always come in here and we read a little bit of scripture and we talk about it a bit and we look, we, you know, we trade back and forth notes we've searched out or whatever. Yeah. And I always bring something like a uh, rabbinic commentary from a uh, uh, Jewish study Bible. Jewish study Bible notes. No notes or commentary. Think about this now. The, the most curious thing about this this whole verse here, this fifteen six, is that there is no rabbinic commentary on this verse. At least, uh, see some of the the commentary that's in this book right here is taken from what would be uh, 
Talmudic and Mishnah type sources, we're talking about thousands of years worth of gathered commentary right. from hundreds of rabbis throughout the Middle East and Europe and everywhere compiled all together. And now that there's nothing printed in the, the, the notes here, That's it. the footnotes about this verse of he believed the Lord and it counted him as righteous. Why not? I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just. I don't like, know if they don't understand it or if they uh, had reservations about what it means. Well, I had just kind of added on to that because the, this proclaims Abram righteous due to his faith, not his works. So, what is works? Every single religious system from Judaism to Catholicism to Protestantism to Islam to Scientology. Uh, is a good works-based system. They're all, they're all basically a single system. Right. Um, though Catholicism and Protestantism both differ, or both offer, excuse me, both offer a relationship to God through their core message of Christ on the cross, adherents, that being us believers, still often find their ways into dogmas between the doctrines, and they make them into rules, and then suddenly one day you got to wear the right clothes, you got to cut your hair the right way to go this denomination, and if you don't have a tie on, you're going to hell in this church over here. But in that church over there, you really should have shorts and sandals on. If you got a tie, you stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> so all these things get to be dogma. That's nothing at all to do with relationship with God. So those all fall into systems of works and stuff. Yeah, and I, I think even today it's easy for Christians to get caught up in the works <clears throat> idea. Um, you know, obviously um, you want to do work, but you're doing it not out of, um, I can't think of the word, but you're, you're not obeying God. Necessity. Yeah, necessity. You're yeah. doing it because of the change that happened in your life. You want to do it. Right. And there's just a little bit of a difference as opposed to being commanded, being shoved. And if you do not do this, then this will happen as opposed to I want to do this. And I think Abraham, we see through his life, he lied. He did some things that uh, we would consider not so Christianly or, or yeah. godlike. But we also see him take the complete opposite approach to God and the relationship that he had with God making himself humble and having that communication. I wrote, you know, covenant that you're talking about, um, the promise of descendants. We're talking about a covenant that God's establishing with Abraham. And we understand that a covenant is basically a contract between two parties. Yeah. And so God is writing the contract. He says, this is what's going on. And, you know, I wrote down, you know, why would God um, even initiate a covenant? Why would he even bother creating a contract between himself and the individual? And my theory, I guess, is that God saw how wicked people were so far. I mean, you look at the stories that we've talked about from people getting so wicked that the flood came except Noah. Noah found favor, one person. Yeah. And then Noah and all those guys spread out and then um, you know, you got the Tower of Babel and all these people start to build this uh, this tower towards the heavens for this godlike, you know, uh, creature, you know, not creature, but we want to be godlike. We want to be powerful. We're going to reach the heavens. And God continually sees mankind 
Satan's evil heart. Yeah. So he sets a contract, <clears throat> and he finds one man, Abraham, and decides this is the guy that's going to carry out the contract. And here's the contract. So. Yeah. Anyway. I just thought it was interesting to that the, uh, a non-works based righteousness being awarded to somebody just in having belief yeah. is not commented on by r- rabbinic or you know right. Jewish point of view that's a very new testament concept yeah I, I mean it goes along with the tithe there's abraham doing it before there's a law to do it no true <laughs> so i remember it, you know you look at james and paul and if you uh, don't interpret it correctly. You have two views that look like they're opposing when they talk about these works. Right. You know, James is like, you know, faith without works is dead. So, you know, people can take it as get off your butt and work or your faith is meaningless. And James, I think is referring to more of like the, not Paul refers to the works as far as salvation goes. Yeah. Uh, James is referring to you're saved and if God's done something in your life and, and you um, are a part of God's family, then you should want, you should have this desire to do things. Yeah. And if that desire is not there, there's something wrong with you. Right. There's something wrong. So Something wrong with your faith. Yeah. I had written down uh, cross references from that. The New Testament, Romans 4, 3 quotes Genesis 15, 6. Galatians 3, 6 quotes it. James 2, 23 quotes it. And James uh, kind of couples that together with Isaac on Moriah to prove the the faith uh, faith and works deal together. Yeah. But uh, I guess that's I, that's the most I want to say about that. It's just something that really stuck out to me when I was digging in this one, thinking, "Oh, I'll go look and see what what Old Testament right. uh, non believe non cross believing." Jews think, and they don't think nothing. nothing. It's just there. <laughs> so, uh, one thing you, I got, thought you were going to jump on to, I've got it in my notes later on to get to it, but um, I forgot what I was going to say just now, so it doesn't really matter, because <laughs> it'll come back up. <laughs> but I'm thinking, you want to go to the ritual next, or to circumcision next? I can go to the ritual. Okay, I think the ritual kind of leads into the circumcision anyway. Um, I'm referring to the ritual that we have right here. Let's see, where does it start? Verse 8. No, verse 9. Don't listen to him. He's doing what he's talking about. (laughs) Okay, so uh, he said to him, this is God speaking to Abram, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and, and yeah, you shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. 
when this, I'm sorry, I'm still into it. It's kind of spread out through here. So verse 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land. And he named all the people. I just, I'll stop right there. Names of the people who own the land now, presently. So we've spoken about this land covenant anyway from them, but this being the, the ritual ceremony, <clears throat> I want to look at it for a second. It's it's hard to find, though, if you look in commentaries and stuff, like uh, this happened in that culture that time. Yeah. Okay, well, list some of those places for me so I can go look at that to verify <laughs> what you did. It's really hard to find those other places. So I I tracked down one other biblical spot where this, this issue is referenced in two other places outside of of uh, the Bible where we see this kind of covenant being taken care of here. Uh, let's see if there's anything. Okay, so the G, uh, the JSB notes, that's the Jewish Study Bible notes, basically says that this is a self-curse ritual, meaning if I violate the covenant that I'm making with you, then may I be like these animals. So we're going to come in half and dice them up, and if I break the covenant you and I are making, may that happen to me. Um, in a sense, and this is something that the the study Bible notes make commentary on. No, excuse me, this is my Encountering Old Testament, a Christian survey, the book I had for our Old Testament class. Uh, it makes a comment, God is participating in this ritual of invoking a self-curse on himself. If he breaks the covenant, I thought that was just a pretty interesting take there on that. Hmm. So that so here's here's the thing where where you're reading commentary and it says this type of ritual is found elsewhere in Mesopotamian text. Hmm. I had to dig to, to find any of those, but to give you the first one in or the first other one in the Bible, this is Jeremiah thirty four eighteen, and so Jeremiah is time period wise Israel's falling apart. So it's kind of a threat. Uh, God, I, I guess God is reversing back to this particular time. Jeremiah thirty four eighteen, and the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of my covenant of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah. The officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the of the earth. Hmm. It's good stuff right there. It is. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Encouraging. It, it makes you wonder, though, do they at some point do some kind of covenant ritual like this? Did Jeremiah, because Jeremiah was, you know, walking around kind of preaching. People are listening to him. He does have some following happening. Did, did, at some point, was there some kind of renewing of something done? Him also being in a, a priestly family, if he could lead something like that, if people would, yeah, we need to do this. We need to get back in with God. Yeah. I was wondering, when you're reading that verse, do you know, could it be talking about the split between Judah and Israel? Like the kingdoms, how the animals were sliced into two, that it, God's wanting to restore the kingdoms together? No, it doesn't say no. anything about Israel. Okay. Let me turn to that just to get better context. Okay. I don't have it up, so I was just asking off the top of my head. 
I'll try to figure out the the king that's referencing. Jeremiah was primarily, as far as I remember, Judah only. Or Judah mostly. I, I shouldn't say only. Right. But looking at the whole thing. But uh, top of uh, Jeremiah 34 is labeled Zedekiah to die in Babylon. So he's talking to Zedekiah. Is Zedekiah last... Love king list. <laughs> yeah, Zedekiah's last. He's the last king, so he's prophesying at this point. Um, it's done, and it's too late, and this is what's going to happen to you. Because he's been trying to tell people for a long time, you need to go out to the king of Babylon. You need to surrender and give up, and he'll treat you well, and you'll live. You'll get your life as a prize for the war. And some people are real split over that. But here it is, uh, God saying, I'm going to take care of them because they're not keeping my covenant. There is some issue about uh, slaves at this point because they have been told, if you want to get right with God, you need to release the slaves. You need to pay back, your, you know, actually forgive debts. Uh, I forget the whole list of things, but one thing they did was release them. And then later on, they gathered them back up and they claimed them again. So... <clears throat> Either way, outside of the Bible on this uh, splitting animals issue, I don't know who Mari is, M-A-R-I. Let's see. These are the two. These next two examples are two other examples I got out of my Encountering the Old Testament uh, book, textbook. This is around 18th century B.C., but Mari writes to, it doesn't actually say who he's writing to here, so it kind of looks like he's writing to a superior. I went to Ashlaka, and they brought me a young dog and a she-goat in order to conclude a covenant. And it has in parentheses, literally, kill a donkey. So I'm, I'm supposing most likely in, their, in the actual original language here, he's writing the words, kill a donkey, which actually idiomatically means conclude a covenant. Like break bread means to go eat a meal together. doesn't really mean just break bread. So, But he says, uh, they brought me a young dog and a she-goat to conclude a covenant between the Hanians and the land of the uh, Edomatas. I don't know where the Hanians are or the Edomatas. <laughs> it was not important for this, so I didn't go look them up. Um, but in, de in deference to my Lord, I did not permit the use of the young dog and the she-goat, but instead had a donkey foal the young of a female donkey killed and thus established a reconciliation between the Hanians and the land of Edomaris. So he actually has a donkey brought for the quote-unquote killing of a donkey foal, the quote-unquote concluding of a, a, a covenant. So let's see. And, and that's going to end up being in the same area, I believe, as the Assyrians, but I don't know what... Let's see, time period, that's way too early for the Assyrians. Either way, uh, the other example is a treaty between Ashunariri V, which is a king of Assyria, and Mati'ilu of Arpad, which is an Aramean ruler of Syria. If you remember, Aram is actually the word in Hebrew that we're translating in the Bible, either as Aramean or as Syria, yeah. when we discuss the difference in Syria and Assyria. Uh, this letter is 8th century B.C. It's a little bit long, but it's rather detailed descriptive of what's going on here. So these, uh, the king of Assyria and this leader or ruler of Arpad. Uh, 
in Syria are making a deal together. It says this spring lamb has been brought to sanction the uh, brought to sanction the treaty between Ashinadari and Mati'ilu. The head is not the head of the lamb, it's the head of Mati'ilu. It is the head of his sons, his officials, and the people of his land. If Mati'ilu sins against this treaty, so may, just as the head of this lamb is torn off, the head of Mati'ilu be torn off. This shoulder is not the shoulder of a spring lamb, it's the shoulder of Mati'ilu. It is the shoulder of his sons, his officials, and the people of his land. If Mati'ilu sins against this treaty, so may... Just as the shoulder of this lamb is torn off, the shoulder of Mati'ilu and his sons, his officials, and the people of his land be torn off. And it went on from there. But it's the same thing. The, this body part is not this body part of this lamb. It's the body part of this man, this ruler. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, you want to say, back to the king list. <laughs> <laughs> the king list, which we've talked about, is uh, starting, the one I found internet-wise, starts back with Gilgamesh. Going forward, ends with uh, some of the Babylonian kings, but of course goes in that time period goes to uh, a bunch of Assyrian kings. So after the time of Ashurnadari the fifth, which that covenant was between, uh, we'll just call him five. <laughs> Ashurnadari the fifth, who's a Assyrian king, between him and the Syrian ruler Mati'ilu. After that time, Mati'ilu makes an alliance with Sarduri II, who is the king of Urartu. If you look on a map uh, north of, uh, it's kind of between the Black Sea and the uh, Caspian Sea. Or excuse me, let's see. Yeah, the Caspian Sea, which is you'll find Caucasus Mountains in that area between them. So you look kind of below that and above, that would be, uh, that would be east of Turkey and kind of above Iraq. In Iran, that area right there is Urartu. This, I, and I, I, had to, I think I told you earlier in the week or something when we were look, discussing notes, I haven't really gotten into studying Urartu or the, the kingdom of Urartu, but uh. seem like some bad dudes. <laughs> and they yeah. were a big deal at one point. We just, they don't seem to have much to do with the history that leads towards us, so we haven't really, really looked at it. But um, Urartu is supposedly related to the word Ararat, which is the mountain range that Noah's boat came and rest on. Yeah, no, yeah. I always got the question: Noah, Moses, Noah, <laughs> Moses, Noah, Moses. <laughs> it's uh, Urartu is also called the Kingdom of Van. Lake Van is a big lake uh, between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, which is kind of at the heart of uh, the Urartu Kingdom. Um, at the peak of its power, the king there in Urartu was Sarduri II, which is the one that Mati'ilu came to. The Syrian guy comes and makes a covenant with the Urartu king to help him get out of the covenant that he's stuck in with the Assyrian king. So uh, at that time, Sarduri II is, is, like I said, they're pretty bad dudes. They're strong enough to fight successfully, not just fight against, but fight successfully against Syria for a good long time before Syria finally finally, raises up. Uh, When Syria raises up, they defeat Sarduri. And by then, I guess this is right on the cusp of a king being changed over. So Tiglath-Pileser III, which is one we've talked about earlier already plenty of times in the Bible, he carries out the covenant curse. Hmm. So... Uh, it's really between, I guess, the king office or the maybe the empire of Assyria and this other empire of Arpad. But 
you know, this little little guy runs to runs to another bully or another big guy on the playground and asks him to protect him okay. from the one who's walking across. But the one who's walking across beats the big guy at first <laughs> and then goes after the little one yeah. and then does him in. The king thing is always interesting just because, you know, I think we've talked about it. I don't, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but I think we've talked about it outside is that, you know, when – when things happen or, you know, you watch all these shows, the apocalypse happens and people migrate and there's these natural leaders that yeah. are birthed or, or just rise up because of their personality. I kind of wonder how kings of um, properties, various properties, you know, yeah. their cities or towns or whatever, how a king became the leader of yeah. that area. As he arrives that from the from the yeah. the mass. Yeah. Cool. I think uh the charisma you're pointing to and leadership qualities comes out. But I I know this also though, just from working with groups of humans, not a lot of people want to take the reins and make a decision. <laughs> Everybody sees the decision sitting out in front of us and nobody says, Well, I'll just do something about it. Everybody's like, What are we gonna do about this? <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? And it goes on. It goes on. Nobody will get up out of their chair, walk over to it, put a hand to the problem, and do something with it. And I think the guy who does, they all say, that was, that was good. Or whether they like it or don't like it, though, the next time there's a problem again, they look at him. Mm. You know, I started watching uh, Lost recently. You were telling me about why does Jack become a leader? He doesn't want to be a leader. Right. But everybody looks to him to make a decision because he's just doing things. Yeah. And they're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they sit they sit around a lot and do nothing and uh, he he, you know, gathers them up and starts giving them some direction. But I've seen that in relieving at work for my boss that the guys on the crew will call you all day nonstop. They basically already have a plan in mind. They just want you to back them up and say that's good. <laughs> they don't really, they don't want to step out and do it on their own most of the time. But huh. I don't know. It's probably half that and half some reasons. I don't know. Well, <laughs> thinking about that and thinking about Abraham, you know, kind of going back to the very beginning of Abraham, he's really like a, I guess, a nobody in the sense of the word as far as he's not a king. He's not, a, you know, in charge of anything. He's a guy that God tells him to go here, go here, go here. The only thing Abraham goes from, you know, if you take away God out of the equation, the only thing Abraham has going for him is he has a beautiful wife. Yeah. And that's how he ends up getting, I mean, God's favor, obviously, is the direction through that. But um, through the lies and through all that, you know, that's how Abraham <coughs> acquired wealth and acquired all this proper, you know, all yeah. this. And then, you know, him and Lot split, obviously. But it's just kind of interesting that he kind of rose up. Uh, not necessarily being a leader of people, he just, but when, you know, uh, the people were attacking and they came to Abraham and said, yeah. hey, this is, well, okay, I'll go do something. Yeah. So he started to rise up then, but anyway. Yeah. So that's kind of most I had with that. The whole cutting thing, though, again, just real simple. Uh, if you and I cut some animals in half out here in the yard and lay them open, we're, we're obviously fixed to make some kind of deal on something, and if I fall through on my part of it, may I become like them? 
That doesn't sound very encouraging. You better make sure you follow through. Uh, can you imagine going to like a going to a bank to buy a house and sign the papers, and the lawyer gets up and says, "Okay, let's go outside." Why? I got a cow and a goat. Cut them in half. <laughs> if you break this or fail to pay, same things happen to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let me let me think about buying this house now. Let me go back and yeah. Consider. Let me go back and rethink buying this house. I think you can keep the house. <laughs> right. The car, whatever it is. Did, did we kind of did we touch on last week? Do you know um, about the verse about when it talks about? I think it's the following verse, verse twelve. Mm. Um, the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. I don't think we talked about that. Yeah, I don't know if we. I just, uh, that's one point I want to make while we're here, though. Uh, deep sleep fell on Abram. Mm-hmm. Because some commentaries I saw said Abram and God made a covenant. No, they didn't. Abram was passed out. Yeah, he didn't do nothing. No. The whole covenant deal. Speaking of God taking a self curse covenant, he did on his own. Abram's actually got nothing to do with keeping this covenant up, even though God may amend it later on and do things like you do this and I'll do this. Uh. But the ba- the main basis of this covenant, though, has nothing to do with man at all. Abram's passed out. God's showing him a vision. Yeah. And uh, he's in a dark, dreadful sleep, etc. And And here's these fire pots going through the, the, you know, the, the way they would have to go to make the covenant complete. Right. So just the whole thing right there that uh, it's all about God. It's, it's like us with the cross. If I guess if Abraham didn't want to accept the covenant, he could just walk off and say, I'm not doing this with you. I don't know who you are. We can do that in Jesus, too. Right. But overall, if we just accept the cross, the covenant is made. It's, it's waiting for us just to walk into. Yeah. That, but not walk through. <laughs> well, I was going to I was gonna, when you say that, I, when I think about the phrasing that you said, it always makes me think of devil's advocate because it raises a lot of difficult questions. Um, that you said Abraham can just turn away if he wanted to. And obviously we have free will in that, like you said, we can turn away from God. But then I also think of the opposite. Did Abram really have a choice? Meaning um, God was going to bless, he was, on use, he was wanting to make a contract. And we, we read in Jonah, Jonah left, but God saved him. Eventually God's uh, protection and safety net and so forth, kind of pushed Jonah. You're not going anywhere, buddy. Okay, so you're going to do. And even the the more difficulty about Judas, someone had to be born to portray Jesus. So there there is this. Yeah. Um, so when you you know, I do kind I of wonder. I didn't know we were going towards Judas. Well, uh, you, well conversation I'm, here. I'm thinking about free. Well, I'm thinking about free will <laughs> yeah. versus could Abraham have really walked away or? I didn't sit and think about that comment before I made it. Uh, I guess I believe if he has free will, yes, he is able to walk away. Right. What could he do to uh, to shirk this this deal, to get rid of this covenant, to not have to walk in it? Yeah. Well, I mean, what could he do? He could have left Sarah in Egypt. <laughs> yeah. out of, you know, out of fear, he could have just left. He could have. He could have uh, pursued uh, Hagar. 
you know, in this upcoming event here. Right. And just left Sarah and yeah. to get you. I'm doing it my way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess if you look at it this way, though, look at it that way. God's telling him here, he said, what about Eliezer? He's my heir. And he says, no, it shall be your own son. It doesn't say anything about Sarah here. He does later on. Right. But as far as right here goes, he's saying your son. So it just means Abraham only. <clears throat> well, I mean, looking at all technicalities, thank you for the monkey ranch, you know. <laughs> looking at all technicalities, if he doesn't think it's Sarah, he just thinks it's his own and that matters, that part matters for this covenant, then he would have done nothing at all with Hagar either. Hmm. If he yeah, really wanted to, to not go anywhere. I don't need any reason why he would have wanted to do that. I'm just saying. Right. Well, I mean, overall, I think, you know, the reason why God decided to make a contract or covenant with Abraham was because he saw his heart. Yeah. And he knew that Abraham's heart was devoted to him and that he wouldn't say no. Yeah. Um, so I think. Overall, you know, my only point was saying Abraham has no uh, part in having to keep the covenant. Right. That's my only yeah. point to make about it. So, leading off the cutting of the animals and covenants kind of takes us to circumcision. Oh, boy. Take it away, Mark. Oh, boy. We're going to get some fun now. Um, I always had a, a question. I, I knew of a girl who was struggling with depression, just struggling with um, taking various types of medicines uh, to help her mind and to help her at ease, and she just stopped taking the medicine. And my wife and I got a phone call on a Sunday afternoon saying, you know, she wanted to kill herself. She was cutting herself and there were worms all in her body and she wanted to let the worms out. And so, you know, I called pastor at our church and I said, hey, I won't be able to make it to church tonight. Um, my wife and I are going and I explained them the whole situation. So we went to meet her and, you know, we took her to the hospital uh, and you know they asked us what was going on, and we told we told them she she's not taking her medication or whatever. Something's going on with her mind, and she would leave and and go lock herself in the bathroom, and we'd open, and she's like trying to cut herself. She's like these worms are bothering me; they're getting inside of me. And you know when we're talking to her, she's like, I know God's telling me to to cut myself because there's demons all in me; these worms are all in me, and I got to get them free. And I say, God's not going to tell you to cut yourself. As soon as I made that statement, circumcision immediately went in my mind like, wait a second. God did tell people, his people, chosen people to cut themselves. Yeah. So then I got into a, <clears throat> a, a difficult place as far as, you know, how do I answer this? You know, can, can you literally tell someone... Hey, um, don't cut yourself because God's not on. That's stupid. Well, God told Abram, hey, and, and <laughs> the, the descendants through this covenant, here's how, um, you know, here's here's the marking for the covenant. Here's a marking that you're going to be my chosen people, circumcision. And Abraham goes home, tells Sarah, like, God told me to cut myself. And she's like, <laughs> what? And she's trying to take it to the hospital too, right? <laughs> exactly. So I did wonder why... Why did God, why was the part on man, why would it cause pain? Why would God allow us to inflict pain upon ourselves to make this covenant? And the other question is, why in this specific area? Um, 
So here's seven options or theories, um, which I'll ask David which one he likes the best. But I just um, like that you had seven ideas there. <laughs> Good, complete. <laughs> Could be all of them. Uh, so I put placing the mark on the means of procreation would serve as a reminder of the promise of the seed of the woman who would be the redeemer of mankind. It was private, but yet it was a reminder to the husband and wife that they were in a covenant with God awaiting the promise. Uh, another idea is rather than being seen as God inflicting pain, it's only it's the only physical mark that a man can impose on himself that doesn't really cause physical damage or limit any bodily function if done properly. Nor does it leave any man-made scars like tattoos, um, yet it's permanent and actually um, provides health in ancient culture that didn't have access to daily baths. Um, it accentuated modern, right? I, my, health. Yeah. And it accentuated modern women whose husbands were circumcised were less successful. Man. You're skipping something right there, and you're. I thought so. I'm reading your notes too. It accentuated health not only for the man but also for the woman. In this type of culture, both ancient and modern, women whose husbands were circumcised were less susceptible to cervical cancer. Can you read the other? My, my, my eyes are like blurry. <laughs> you just kept skipping the same one line. I've done it too. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, the physical cleansing would later become a symbol of spiritual cleansing and purification. Number four. Circumcision marked the part of the man's being that is most susceptible to temptation and sin that destroys individuals, families, and cultures. Again, it reminded someone who was in covenant with God that he was set apart from other nations and cultures that give in to uh, and, uh, and indulge in sexual sins. Number five is circumcision has to do with a uniting of the spiritual and the physical. In other words, what is the what is said must also be done. Circumcision was dramatic, but it created a radical sense of belonging. Yeah, that would be for sure. Like you tell me to what, and that's not anything that any of us have ever done. And we've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, circumcision announces that Israelites belong only to this community and only to this God. Circumcision is weighty. It represents a radical, committed faith. Number six, one of the greatest miracles that we can be part of is uh, is the creation of life, and that will be the point of which God remind our. I'm I'm screwing up your uh, <laughs> your notes too there, and that will be the point of which God reminds us that we are His new creation. So we're a part of creation at the point of uh, where we create more life. He's right. reminding us. Uh, why was not a physical sign given for women? Question mark. Women were already sanctified with being able to carry life and go through the birth pangs. I want to come back and ask you about that one there. Okay. <laughs> Number seven. Incidentally, circumcision on the eighth day was the point in which the blood clotting element was the highest among infant toddlers. Uh, let's see. Cross reference. It's just a okay. little article uh, from S.I. McMillan. Uh, none of these diseases. I forget all of them, but uh, like vitamin K, there's two or three different clotting agents we have in our system that on the eighth day, they all happen to peak really, really high. Hmm. So so the uh, this is one of those New Testament verses that I'm, I can't say I'm ever satisfied when I hear an explanation 
I just don't feel like I'm complete on understanding <laughs> it or liking the explanation yet. But women are sanctified through childbirth. That's a tough one. <laughs> Do we need to go into it or just wait till we get into the New Testament in about six years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that letter's a little off. <laughs> Long ways off. We got the Gospels and... <clears throat> no, nah, we could talk about it. Um, so... Let's let's go to the verse. I need to read. I need to read the. Context. I forget where it is. First uh, Timothy two uh, fifteen is the verse. But we're going to go a few verses ahead of that. Uh, we'll just start at verse eight. Um, Paul's obviously writing to Timothy. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respect and respectful apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who prof- who profess godliness with good works. Hey, there's the good works. Um, <laughs> let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman who was deceived and became the transgressor, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So kind of kind of doing it in the context, obviously um, there's some things that we can go into details as far as... Uh, you know, women should not be teaching or have authority over men. Um, as far as leadership or church goes, I think this is kind of talking about within the culture. Um, obviously, our culture is quite different. And, you know, we find in judges that we'll get to eventually Deborah rising up and being a judge because yeah. um, there was no one else. Right. Um, uh, no man uh, re- volunteering or being raised up in that place. Again, so how she did the leader pop up? Nobody else would lead. So right. there she was. Yeah. Right. So I, I think, so I think there's, you can kind of, uh, interpret the rest of the verse. Um, then it goes into talking about Adam and Eve. Um, Adam was deceived. Um, the woman was deceived, became a transgressor. Um, and part of the curse to the woman was pains of childbearing. So I think within that context, in my opinion, I think, um, she will be saved through childbearing. All goes back to um, Genesis, where part of her curse is in in childbearing, and um, it is the deliverance of the curse that that she'll be saved. You know, not from childbearing, but for for salvation if she continues in faith, love, holiness, with self control. Does that make any sense, or did I just ramble a whole lot? No, it makes sense. I'm I'm trying to put some other things because a lot is springing in my head right now. Sure. I'm trying to put it all together and listen. Um, I was thinking that the serpent had been physically changed and was now without arms and legs and was crawling on his belly. And then Eve was physically changed in the sense of giving. Of course, that, that statement about the serpent's not there. He's just saying he does imply now you're going to go on your belly. So he does imply that he was not originally going on his belly, and something has changed there. Yeah. Then the woman receives a physical change in pain, being part of her, one of her main life processes. Right. Adam doesn't really get anything physical no, out of that. Has, he just works tirelessly, effortlessly, but... Tirelessly. Yeah, tirelessly on the ground, and the ground's going to be cursed, so he's going to be constantly having to work to 
get the earth to produce food or produce so crops. On, on, a, on a level that's affecting them, the snake is cursed, the, the woman is cursed, the ground is cursed. Yeah. Adam is in the midst of all that. And Adam being the first Adam as, a, as an archetype, as he's going tw- you know, forward in time towards the second Adam, just noticing he didn't really receive any mark on himself or any kind, nothing physical. Right. It gets to Abraham, and there's, there's the mark. That's, That's a good point. I hadn't put that together, but I do have noted back here in my First uh, Timothy 2, I just cross-referenced uh, 13, 14, 15, because it starts talking about Adam and Eve. I think I have sat and, and looked at this before. Like like you said, in context, Adam and Eve. Yeah. So in context, it's sin, childbirth, control. It's a little different in how they're applied. But sin happens first back here. Then then childbirth is discussed. And then it's discussed also that she's going to try to have control <laughs> over the man. Right. Back here, uh, Paul was writing, uh, let's see, the woman sinned, but she will have childbirth, and y'all should both have self-control. I mean, it just kind of leads in the same direction there through it. Yeah. I don't know, just the interesting. I mean, like you talked about, you know, when when Paul's writing here, he talks about um, the woman should not have this authority over man. Go back to Genesis. The, yeah. The woman's going to desire that, and and man's going to have that authority over her, even though she would want to um, be this. So again, Paul's kind of re and I don't know if I, I remember hearing one way to interpret this verse, which I don't know if, I mean, I haven't looked at it really, but that um, the a lady will be saved through the means of childbirth, meaning um, through the savior, through Jesus, through the, the child that saves. So not okay. necessarily uh Every, not it's not really speaking to every single woman, but that women and technically men too all are covered through the childbearing um, of Jesus. So anyway, oh, it's a strange verse. I didn't really mean to take us there. No, but. no, you're fine. <laughs> it is a it is one of the strange verses that I I, I haven't really heard anything that I feel one hundred percent peace at even yeah. the one I spit out. Um, I still, you know, would probably be like 80, 70 percent. Like, yeah, yeah I, I, it sounds good, but is it, you know, yeah. right? So, yeah. Um, back with circumcision. Um, Paul interprets and reveals circumcision from the physical um, children of Abraham, which we're talking about the circumcision and the private area of the men. And to now, Paul's talking about um, there's a spiritual circumcision that shows us who belong to God, who are the children of God. So this promise, again, starts with Abram, goes all the way through the nation of Israel and through the Jews. And then um, Jesus, I mean, obviously Gentiles are being used in between these times. Um, But then Jesus comes, dies, and the Holy Spirit comes and is poured out on all people, Gentiles and Jews alike. And now uh, it's not about circumcision of uh, the area um, that who belong to God or God's people. It's the circumcision of the heart that's the marking of. And how do you know? We go back to um, Abraham. Uh, how do you know he belonged to? You're not going to see Abraham walking around, you know, and say, "Oh, he belongs to God because of that." Yeah, because you know, he's got. You know, he flashes everywhere he goes. Right. right. You're going to see it because <laughs> yeah. his works. <clears throat> 
are credited to him as righteousness. Other people see the works and um, know he belongs to this specific God. And he has these rituals and traditions that we talked about earlier. Yeah. And you come back here from, uh, you know, the circumcision and the works to here. You have the circumcision. And again, James's uh, works, not uh, not regarding salvation, but regarding living a life, having that relationship with God that, if your faith, if you really have faith in God, but you have nothing to show for it, then your faith is really dead. It's non-existent. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think there's the similarities of um, our works are credited to us as righteousness. Not, um, and that's not salvation. Salvation is completely different from that. So. Well, it's not salvation, but salvation is having faith in God, and it, it just circles back on itself again, though. Yeah. Can you stand up and preach something that you're not doing? Yeah. <laughs> Can I mean, if you're in a pulpit or if you're going to an office where non-believers are you are you saying things that you say you believe, and when the situation actually comes up in front of you in your personal life, are you doing it or not? Right. And if you're not, you're blowing wind. Yeah, I mean, James, James is pretty graphic as far as his illustrations on. You know, one, uh, what what is true religion? It's it's not about belonging to a denomination. It's not about attending church on Sundays. It's not about being involved in ministry. Not about attending it's, church on Saturdays either. Oh yeah. If you want to go in that direction with <laughs> there you it, go. it's really not anything you can think of that is good for us. Um, James lists. You know, I think James would say those things are great, but if you're not if you're not taking care of the orphans and, and taking care of the widows <laughs> or visiting the orphans and take care of the widows. Then your religion is crap. It's it's yeah. empty. It's void. There's nothing to it. Yeah. It's just lip service. It's just moving your lips and and nothing coming out. Um. So. Anyway. We can go on for a while about that one if you want to. <laughs> we, well, we could. Everybody needs to hear that. Well, I mean, it it goes along with I think this whole concept of. Abraham's living his life and, and the covenant, the contract. When you get saved, there is a covenant, there is a contract between us and God. You know, Paul says we're bought with the price. We are now, um, we we sign a contract, we sign our life over in a sense, and hand it to God and say, "Do as you please through me." Yeah. And it's not in a sense of um, we say it reluctantly or we say it with hesitation. We should say it um, with a desire to do whatever God asks. And I think that's where James kind of talks about, even um, James talks about uh, a person who doubts, asks God and doubts, like a person who's being tossed in the wave in the sea. He just, you know, or looks in a mirror and forgets what he looks like. You know, he's, he's just unstable. He's double, he's double standard. Yeah. And it goes to the guys in the pulpit or Christians who, who talk a game, who who can say, you know, we're serving God or, you know, if if you see if you see a fatherless, you know, I was fatherless. So if you see a fatherless kid and you can do something to help that kid, and you have the means to do so, and you do not do it, then there's an issue. I would go with James and say your faith is dead. You need yeah. to revisit. Yeah. Jesus says, when you visit the prisoner, when you give a cup of cold water. When you do, I mean, these mundane, stupid, ordinary things that don't cost us a whole lot. But, you know, Jesus says when you do things for people, because ultimately we are all created 
um, in the image of God, but we all have a distortion of the image because of sin. Yeah. But God still wants us to see every person like they're the a potential child of God, I guess, or a yeah. child of God um, who just needs to be reminded who he is and reminded about what Jesus did and, and so forth. So I think about it. It's been lately because I guess I just been tired, but uh, and having just a bad attitude by just, you know, being tired at the moment and you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do every day. You mentioned giving somebody a cold cup of water, being a mundane thing yeah. doesn't cost you much. I find this in uh, at work lately when I go to a customer's uh, back in their their driveway and I'm fixing to walk to the door. I almost find myself thinking a couple different things all on top of each other. I don't really want to talk to anybody right now. <laughs> yeah. And then the other part is this customer is paying for service and I need to part of that service is I need to act like they want to see a person come to their door and act. So it's almost like, uh, put on your, put on your business face, which includes a smile and start a conversation, get down to the business, let them know what you're going to do. But, uh, I find myself having to almost put my, put my, my mask on that says, act decent, David, be nice. Yeah. And there's, and the other voice is saying, I don't even want to be here. <laughs> that that, that lazy day. one. Yeah, it's been a rough day. <laughs> I heard someone say, you know, a lot of times we, we emphasize Christianity as um, acts, action, acts of kindness, acts of this, <coughs> acts of that, doing things. And this person said, really, Christianity is even more than that. It's It's probably more about reaction. You know, when people do yeah. something to you, how do you respond? Yeah. Um, if... If you don't get credit in front of people, if people um, don't find out that you did uh, a good thing, like give a cup of cold water, you know, if if you need to have it paraded around or or branded or marketed, 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 uh, marketed, marketed, marketed um, <laughs> stupid words, <laughs> the stupid English words. Yeah. But you know, if if you need that. Um, a podium, I guess, or, or that trophy that you did that. Um, you, you just got your stuff. You already got it. You don't. Yeah. There's nothing else to get out of that. And Jesus says, you know, you have your reward. Congratulations. Yeah. Yep. Um, you should do things in secret. And and I think, you know, I can't speak for every culture because I've only been in one country um, outside of ours, and I've been to Dominican Republic. So um, I can only speak for American culture. Um, you, you, I mean, you've been to other countries more than I have, and you've seen talked to people more so than I have. But as far as our culture, you know, we're all about um, uh, being that uh, that trophy or being that high and mighty Christian. That hey, you know, so and so did this, and but Jesus is no, you're not, you're not really supposed to parade it. If people see it or um, you know, there, there's a difference and, yeah. but, but in America it's like, you know, you have to know what we did. This is how we, you know, market our church or market our ministry. And I'm not saying you don't tell people what you're doing, yeah. but there is, there, there is a, a, a line there, um, to show a need and to present it to what you're doing as far as ministry goes, or to just pray around so you can say, <coughs> Hey, I'm, I'm great. I'm a I'm I'm a I'm a Christian that doesn't make mistakes and perfect. Yeah. So 
That's what I tell everybody about you, too. Well, good. <laughs> well, hey, Abraham lied and several times, and he, was he, righteous. La- he laughed at God. So, you know, I'm, 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 within, I'm within his uh, little, you know. I don't know about uh, – you don't go tell him what you do to everybody. I don't think it's a receiving your award already kind of thing if – you do something kind of quietly, and I happen to be near you or around you and notice it, and I go telling somebody, hey, man, this is what Mark did. I saw this. This is cool. Right. And they're like, yeah, that is. That's great. And it's just, if that other person knows you, it's the only reason I'd be talking to them anyway, then they already know what kind of person you are, and we're just sharing that we both agree that we like how you are. That's why we're both friends with you. So when we see a person doing something like that, I don't think it's, it's wrong that we shouldn't go tell a single soul. Right, no, right, but no, yeah. Either way, <clears throat> are we moving on from circumcision? Yes. I think we did, I think we're and just to, I guess, kind of link it all together while we jumped, the, uh, you know, Genesis 22, really, out of what we were in was the cutting, this cutting a covenant. That's kind of the, the, the idiomatic phrasing there. We're cutting a deal. And that's what this this whole uh, ritual really was about, uh, with splitting the animals and then uh, walking between them, but between between the pieces and cutting them and cutting a, a covenant that way and cutting Abraham cutting himself because God told him to and that being part of God's cutting a covenant is kind of why we went that direction. So. I kept reading a while ago, and I apologize as I was getting to about verse 17 because it was it seemed like it was going on forever. But the concepts that we all wanted to discuss tonight was all kind of just laid out and lingered together and mixed together and weaved. Right. So I'll go back and just read. Uh, in this, I guess I want to head towards the prophecy for the descendants. Uh, we talked about the promise to the descendants. We talked about the promise of the descendants. Here's the prophecy for the descendants, what's going to happen to them. So I'm just going back and picking out a couple of key words since we already read the whole thing. Genesis 15, 13, know for certain that your offspring will be servants for 400 years. Verse 14, afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And then verse 16, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. So, I mean, putting it all together, what if I told you right now, <laughs> Layla's going to have a bunch of kids. They're going to become a huge, massive nation. They're all going to become slaves for 400 years in some other country, and then they're going to come back here to uh, Greenville, South Carolina later. I'd just be like, I'm not alive during that time, right? Because then I'm cool. Yeah. yeah. As long as I'm not alive during that time and I don't have to mess, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I don't have to mess with all that stuff you're yeah, talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, I think, yeah, this follows um, that verse where it says Abram was uh, uh, in, a, in a darkness, or a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him when he's sleeping. Yeah, so, that's verse 12, yeah, where that starts. I, 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 I don't know if it's right, but I kind of want to say that the dreadful and the darkness that comes upon him is all about <clears throat> what God's revealing to him, what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, there's this. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have notes written out here in my Bible. I had to lean over because they're really, really small. I wrote these notes back when I could see better. (laughs) (laughs) I can't see either or talk. So, uh, dreadful darkness. He asked for a son, and God gives him a dream of slavery for all of his descendants. That's great. Thanks, God. Then he wakes up and 
<laughs> I, I, I can't wait to talk about the J, uh, Joseph. It's like the complete opposite. Yeah. It's like God gives a dream to Abram. Hey, you, your descendants, your family is going to be in slavery. Joseph, hey, you're going to rule over your family. <laughs> it's like the complete well, in opposite. a way, your family is going to be slaves to you. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. similar saying, but anyway. I guess that's what I was fixing the head towards anyway is uh, the Jewish study Bible notes for Genesis twelve seventeen. Um To read 17 again, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So the Jewish study Bible notes uh, head in this direction. The Lord's infliction of plagues on Pharaoh foreshadows the story of Exodus, which I hadn't put this together before at all. I usually more easily see something in the Old Testament as a foreshadowing archetype or picture type of Jesus, of salvation, of the cross, of a sacrifice of Messiah, that kind of thing. I don't usually foreshadow simply forward a couple of pages in the the Old Testament and and keep seeing it loop and loop and loop, which I do think is there. I think it's true, but I don't see it as, as, as easily. Anyway, the notes keep going. Uh, indeed, Abraham's experience in twelve ten through 20 pre-enacts major themes of his descendants' experience at the end of Genesis and in Exodus. Descent into Egypt because of a famine, death, feared or realized, of the male, and survival of the female. Uh, and from here, that also layers over to Exodus 1, 15 through 22. Discussions with Pharaoh, plagues, release and the acquisition of great wealth exodus twelve thirty five. so i guess if you had asked me i might have said oh yeah there's some similarities but there's a lot of similarities to put it all there the reason they that abraham went into egypt famine the reason that israel quote unquote jacob and all his sons finally go into egypt famine they go down there basically abraham goes down there fearing that he's going to die Israel and Egypt later on, the males are the ones being killed by Pharaoh and dying. Uh, Abraham believes that Sarah's going to survive. Well, Pharaoh didn't care about the females, he's letting them live. So uh, Abraham has some discussions with Pharaoh finally about the plague that is on his household. He's released, Sarah's released, and they leave with great wealth. And then... Uh, Moses and Aaron go have some discussions with Pharaoh about the plagues on his land. (laughs) (laughs) Then they're released and they leave with acquisitions and great wealth. So I had not seen it before um, Hmm. myself, but it's a lot of layering there. I think honestly most of what I have left here is probably just reiterating the same well, I, I guess what I have left here is going into uh, Hagar and Ishmael a little bit. So, you want to save that? Yeah, I'll save it. Okay. I'll say verse 18, finally on that day the Lord made the covenant. So, um, under, I guess, verse 18, I would consider Abraham's uh, peak verse uh, that the covenant is finally signed. And then the journey begins as to how the covenant takes place and what happens with the promise and um, a lot of craziness happens so so the next 
next time we do our podcast, we'll hit uh, Isaac and Ishmael and Hagar and see where we get. Ishmael always makes me think of ours, Moby Dick. <laughs> there she blows. We're already past Moby Dick with uh, Noah and Jonah. <laughs> no, we're still, that, that's all still relevant. <laughs> <laughs> to the Two Spies podcast with David and Mark. Don't forget to check out twospies.net for daily devotionals, writings on various topics and separate Bible studies. Help us out by subscribing to the podcast, write a review on iTunes and spread the word. 